Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and a warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. I'm Daniela Kouye and I will be your host for the next 60 minutes. So our two experts on today's show uh, will be here for the full hour and joining me is Andrew Vyland from DP Wealth Advisory and Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you for joining the show. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Fantastic. Okay, and we've got a great lineup of stocks picked by you today. And uh, the first five that we are going to be discussing are Cash Converters International, Karoon Energy, Beta Shares Japan ETF, which is currency hedged, the Global X Battery Tech and Lithium ETF, and Beach Energy. But before we get to those stocks, and we could touch on the markets, but given that we have the uh, US CPI coming out tonight, well, let's just leave that for a little bit later on and get straight onto the stocks. So stock of the day is Integrated Research. And they had an update. Integrated Research is expecting revenue in the range of 67 to $70 million for full year 23, and underlying earnings to be in between 10 and $13 million. The company experienced a stronger renewals period and achieved growth in its Collaborate and Transact product lines. So let's get some views today from our expert guests on integrated research. Andrew, I'll start with you. What's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, if we uh, if we have a look at how it's traded over the last three or four years, it certainly hasn't been a happy outcome for IRI shareholders. Uh, it, tra- it traded, as far as I could see, sort of in the four and the five dollar mark. So to be back in the forty or fifty cents mark, it's certainly not a, a great outcome. And in fact, if you look at the returns over the last five years, they've lost about thirty one percent per annum. However, it's been a pretty tough market, sort of that whole HR market. And uh, with this looming recession that everyone seems to keep on talking about, we're almost like going to talk ourselves into it. Uh, you would think there's going to be more need for um, HR services, HR, IT, etc. Um, the PE, though, is probably still a little demanding at 14, 15 times, even though we had some pretty good um a good update today. The market is forecasting about a 65% increase in earnings over the next 12 months. So if they can achieve that, then the P of 14 or 15 times is probably not too demanding. But uh, one swallow a summer does not make. Uh, I'd probably be uh, holding uh, for the time being on this one. Fair enough. What about uh, you, Henry? What about me? <laughs> it isn't fair. Um, in, in integrated research, it's uh, it's one of these ones that loves to use buzzwords, isn't it? I was reading what the company uh, describes itself as. So they say they provide, they create value through our real-time, scalable, and extensible hybrid cloud platform with deep domain knowledge to optimize operations of mission-critical systems and improve mm. user experience. They've got all the words in there, haven't they? It's fantastic. Uh, the um, They have been sort of Dudley do nothing for some time. They've been pushing along the bottom around 35, 40 cents. And uh, I guess there's a bit of tax loss selling there for June uh, coming into play there. Um, the results due on the 25th of August, but let's face it, uh, today's update is pretty much the results. It's not a bad update. When you consider... Uh, and we might even touch on this later, the, the Megaport update yesterday, which, to be honest, wasn't really that mega in the big scheme of things. And the stock was up 34% just about and kicking another 4% today. And, um, you know, when you look at uh, integrated research, 
Today's update's not a bad update. Total contract value, uh, they're talking about an 18 to 22% change up between 67 and 69 million. They got cash, 18.6 million. The commentary from the CEO was also positive as well. So given that we've had a bit of a pop today, and I suspect we'll have a little bit of profit taking. But I, I would imagine that we're going to see some brokers warm to this one. As I say, it hasn't had any announcements. It hasn't had any new information for a long, long time. I think February was the last, the numbers and the last set of real information we had out of the company. So it's good to get a bit of an update. It was a good update. It's obviously kicked. I think it's got potential to go higher as well, but maybe uh, just a bit of consolidation after this move. But um, they're still talking about cost pressures, uh, but um, those employee-related costs and travel, and uh, those are part of the thing. But I think, you know, this is, this is definitely a hold. I agree with Andrew. And if it came back to sort of 40 cents again, I think you would be uh, in pretty good space to be, uh, to be accumulating that one. Yeah, thanks, Henry. I was just having a look in terms of um, broker sort of calls on this one. And uh, Bell Potter's got a rather brave 65 cent price target on it, which is a lot of upside. But it just seems to have really disappeared off the radar, hasn't it? Unless yeah. you're a shareholder. And I guess if you're a shareholder, it kind of, you know, it's that thing. Yeah. Do I hold on to it or buy more or sell? So we've got basically both of you saying a hold yeah. at this point in time. Yeah, and I think when you look at the Bell Potter research, which I did this morning, it is quite out of date. It is old. Yeah. So, you know, obviously the world turns, the world changes uh, between that research and now. But this this update is certainly new information, good information. The market likes it. Uh, we just have seen, you know, a lack of follow through in some of these updates uh, in other stocks. So maybe at 40 cents, it's a better buy. Indeed. Okay, everyone, uh, that's a, a, a double hold to start the day. But let's get on to our first stock of the day that has been picked by Tim, and that's Cash Converters International. And uh, Tim basically says, Hi, Ausbiz, wondering if you could get your analysts to cover cash converters on the call. The chart is top left, bottom right, but wondering whether the expansion into the UK and move to online sales of secondhand goods might see them reverse their downtrade. And uh, by the way, Tim loves the show. So there you go, guys. Andrew, you seeing any love for cash converters? Uh, look, I'm not a, a huge fan of the the business model itself. They're sort of espousing their ESG virtues. They're talking about uh, by virtue of people sort of buying secondhand goods that they're reducing landfill. I guess that they're a long <laughs> boat, except that. Um, but equally so if I was to apply a same ESG lens to the um, shorter term lending as an example, you might have a different outcome as to the ESG credentials. So I guess I sort of attack it from that perspective to begin with. However, I also note that the economy is under some pressure. They talk about 20,000 new customers a month. Uh, and that certainly is reflective of how challenging things are starting to become in, in various aspects. Um, Tim, thanks for watching, Tim, listening, however you consume your Ausbiz content. Um, it talks about this sort of move offshore. That to me is another amber light. I'm always concerned when Australian companies go offshore. Some do it really well. Obviously, you know, CSL immediately comes to mind despite their current share price. But there are plenty of others that have come home with their tail between their legs. So companies espousing moving offshore and, you know, using the UK as their European hub and all this sort of stuff, that's just another amber light for me. The PE isn't demanding at eight times, but that sort of falling earnings per share growth is a little concerning. So, and then I sort of, the final Andrew Amber Light is $22,000 a day of shares traded. So you stick all that in the melting pot and it's a no thank you. So hold. hold it best, yeah? Okay. Yep. Right. Fair enough. Henry, have, have you got uh, some yes. more love for this one? No, not at all. Um, I got to say, I you know when when uh, your uh, viewer was suggesting this is a fantastic stock, because it's gone from bottom left to top right. I'm not sure what chart he's looking at because my chart that I'm looking at looks as if it's gone absolutely nowhere. nowhere. Yeah. 
uh, absolutely nowhere. And you would imagine, you know, we've got a tough economic environment. It's even tougher in the UK. That's one's that economy is going down the toilet faster than you can say Brexit. But, you know, when you look at um, cash converters, you'd have to think they would be a beneficiary of the tougher economic climate. But they really haven't kind of, com- well, if you pardon the pun, they really haven't converted uh, the uh, the lower economic uh, conditions into uh, into profitability. They have got a, a gross loan book of around $268 million. I mean, that's, you know, they're, they're pawnbrokers at heart, no matter how you dress it up uh, with ESG or, you know, short-term loans uh, for customers. There are some regulatory changes as well, which are pending, which, of course, does tend to uh, hold things back a little bit. So uh, that that may be um, also a bit of a negative. But, you know, as Andrew says, going to the UK, you think would be um, an absolute money spinner at the moment, given the state of the UK economy, inflation, the mortgage prison, the mortgage cliff, whatever you want to call it, all those factors in the UK. But I just find it hard to get really excited about this one. I must admit, maybe every time I drive past the shop in DY, the cash converters there, it's a bunch of bikes and old uh, musical instruments for sale and doesn't look very exciting. And I think that uh, that is probably the way of the share price as well. If you've got it, well, yeah, maybe hold it. But God, there's so many exciting stories out there at the moment, exciting shares and opportunities. Uh, and this one really isn't. Yeah, I must admit, I was going to make the same comment about one of their shops. There used to be one uh, in the eastern suburbs. I used to walk past and I just, you kind of look at it oh. and go, I'm trying to be inspired here. and I'm not finding it's, much inspiration they're, in they're, there. They're daggy as all get out, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, they look like shops from the 1970s. Yeah. I mean, it's a great time walk. You go in there, it's like an Aladdin's cave of uh, knocked off uh, tradie tools and uh, old PA systems and the odd bike. And sometimes you can find some treasure, but geez, it's uh, it's not a great looking format, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm well, not that my opinion matters, but I have to agree, I wasn't inclined to matters. go matters. into that shop. <laughs> Andrew, you haven't chipped in on that one. So let's move ahead. Our second stock is Karoon Energy, uh, picked by Anirudh. And uh, look, why don't we swap it around? Henry, what do you think of Karoon? Uh, I like Karoon. It is my favourite mid-sized oil and gas producer. It's in Brazil, the Baunau, uh, the Bauna project they've got there. They have had some production issues this year. There's also been a uh, what they call a temporary uh, tax from the government on production, which luckily coincided with some of the maintenance issues. So it's taken a little while and a little bit of steam out of the stock. The brokers generally like this one. It's a kind of a, the, the story has been, I guess, pushed out a little bit because of these production issues that it has had. Um, but uh, they've got some good projects in the pipeline. It is, of course, geared to the oil price. And to be honest, let's face it, the oil price has hardly been stellar. Uh, which has actually been good for inflation, obviously, and it's now starting to creep slowly back up again. So, uh, and I think the same applies for Karun. I have it in, as part of my small cap portfolio. I do like it still. I'd say this has got $2.20, $2.30 written all over it again as the production issues start to unwind. Hopefully that tax is just temporary. It was due to be uh, unwound in July, and here we are in July. I haven't actually uh, seen anything, any updates on that position, but uh, certainly one of the best mid-cap companies around in the oil and gas space. So I like this one, but it does depend on the oil price. If we could see the oil price squeeze back up towards 80 bucks, this would be 220 again, 230. So 10 to 15% upside. So do you have a buy on it? Oh, got it, haven't you? Fair enough. Got to have a buy on something that's got a 10% upside. Well, yeah, you'd hope so. (laughs) Yeah, we're not here for a haircut, Danielle. (laughs) Indeed. Well, at least Andrew, not anyway, that's for sure. Cheeky, cheeky, getting, getting, getting feisty. Let's move ahead, Andrew. What's your thoughts on Karoon? It's a tough crowd. It's a very tough crowd. Uh, and I like how you defended me there too, Danielle. That was great. Thank you. Um, I, 
I, I like it a lot. I uh, I think it's also a buy. I haven't gone broke buying. I haven't had too many clients rather go broke buying companies on PEs of four, uh, when the industry average is eight. And uh, that's certainly what you're looking at here with Karun. The forecast EPS growth is around 73% next year. So from a valuation point of view, it's pretty compelling. Probably the only uh, roadblock that I can see, semi-pun there, is relating to sort of global recessionary fears and that sort of um, oil price being under some pressure at the moment. Uh, but overall, quality business and frankly, an M&A target, you'd think that, you know, a cashed up uh, global player. Because again, if you think about, again, coming back to ESG, there's a lot of pressure on the, the shells and the totals, the chevrons not to be out there exploring, not to be sort of um, increasing their, their wills as such. So they're cashed up. And at the moment, all they're doing is just paying out these great dividends. So there's certainly an opportunity in that M&A space and Karoon really fits into that. So consensus is 277 versus where are they now, about 208. Yep. PE of four, strong EPS growth. So it's a buy. Great. Okay. So uh, two buys on that one, but uh, I'll I'll come back to a summary a little bit later on. But let's move uh, on to the third stock, which is BetaShares Japan ETF currency hedged up. Uh, basically ETF picked by Tim. And of course, Japan has been one of the top performing markets in the world, although there is some profit taking creeping in at the moment. So Henry, are you disposed towards turning Japanese? Oh, Danielle, what a great song that was. I really think so. Um, <laughs> in terms of um, the uh, this ETF, I'll leave it up to the whisperer because this is uh, this is his ballpark. What I would say is, you're right. Japan has had an absolutely stunning performance in terms of the market. We we look constantly uh, towards the US and the Nasdaq and the Dow and everything, and we're so US centric. Yet our second biggest trading partner and a massive technology provider. We forget about all this, don't we? We forget about Japan. We're just starting to get our heads around India. Uh, it's a theme I wrote about in an article recently about how we were so US-centric, and I guess that's you know inevitable given that we share, a, I was gonna say a common language, but we do share some parts of a common language. Sometimes I do wonder. But um, you know, this one has had some really, really good performance. The thing that of course has been driving the Japanese market as opposed to every other market in the world is that the Japanese are still stimulating their economy and they have got a very, very weak yen on the back mm. of it. So the currency has been a massive tailwind for their market. It, it really does help. I mean, I remember when the dollar was uh, parity with the US and we were all bemoaning the fact uh, that it was really constraining exports, etc. Uh, and it made us un economic in terms of uh, some of our exports. Here we are at 66 cents and we're all going, oh God, the Aussie dollar is so weak, it's terrible. I guess if we're all going to Europe for holidays, maybe that's the case. But this one, I've got to say, performance has been good. You're buying Toyota uh, to some extent, eight, uh, nine percent in Toyota. Sony as well, big uh, exposure to Sony, five percent. So, uh, you know, you're buying names that you know, uh, but I'm sure Andrew's going to run through the numbers uh, far better than I can. Yeah, I'd actually picked up, um, some people were putting forward the proposition that some money, instead of going into China, had actually been going into the likes of, of Japan. Yeah. But, um, you know, you're absolutely Possible. right. Australians, I've been talking a lot about uh, emerging markets with a couple of my guests, and Australians still have this thing that I think that they sort of, I did ask, are they, are they ready to embrace other markets apart from the US? So within the context of that, Andrew, Henry's going, no, they're not. Andrew, would you be turning Japanese at this stage? Well, I certainly won't sing, apart from the fact I can't sing. I'll leave that to Henry. Um, but just briefly to your emerging markets point, it's a huge opportunity that people are missing. I was at a conference uh, about a month ago now, and the key takeaway I took from that was that the ASEAN region, so you know Indonesia, Philippines in particular, are going to grow. That area is going to grow by five percent per annum for the next twenty years. So there's huge, huge opportunity in that sort of entire region. China is actually slowing, mm. and it's not just because of the mm. economic piece, but it's also the population piece as well. So we're very keen on India as well, but to the ETF at hand. Um, 
if you look at sort of the Nikkei performance over the last 12 months, it's up about 20%. So this is a way in which you can get exposure to that. It's not tracking the Nikkei, but it's tracking an index of companies who's uh, Japanese domicile, but most of their revenue comes ex-Japan. So as Henry ran through, you know, it's your Hondas, it's your Nintendos, it's your Sonys, et cetera. So we, we quite like it. But to Henry's point also, that weak yen has been a real positive for it, but the yen has been strengthening the last few days. Therefore, it's now acting as a bit of a sort of a headwind for this one. But from a global diversification point of view, very happy to have this one in a portfolio. But I would equally want to see some sort of either Indian exposure and or um, ASEAN exposure as well. That's harder to get. You're going to have to buy sort of an emerging markets ETF to do that. But certainly this is one that you should be thinking about. Okay. Um, Henry, I forgot to ask you, would you have a hold on the um, Japanese ETF? Um, I, I think at the moment we're probably going to see a bit more profit taking in Japan. I think you're right though, Daniel. I think there has been some money flowing into Japan instead of the Chinese market. So um, maybe it's been benefiting from that. And depending on what this CPI number does in the US, that will really sort of define the US dollar for a little while. So we might see the uh, the, yen, uh, the yen strengthen a little bit and some, ten some headwinds in that one. So I'll just be holding off for now, but certainly the thematic around investing in Japan and India, I think holds true. And we are too US centric at times and too laser focused on the names we know, the Googles, the Facebook, the Amazons, the Alphabets, and we forget about Europe, we forget about Japan, and uh, I think that can sometimes be detrimental to uh, portfolio performance. So that's a pop on the radar. <laughs> it's a that's a pop on the radar. That's a, that's. A, I think you know at the moment they're probably going to slip back a little bit. But, yeah, um, fair yeah, enough. Thematically, thematically, it's a good, it's a good place to be. Yeah, great. Oh, well, I'm glad uh, we talked a little bit of a emerging markets, not that you would necessarily call Japan an emerging market, but nevertheless, um, yeah, there are some uh, very interesting uh, stories and stocks sitting out in, the, as you said, Andrew, ASEAN, India, talked Mexico yesterday, you know, the whole friend shoring, onshoring theme, etc. Anyway, let's move ahead to the fourth stock. And uh, this is a big global thematic and it's the Global X Battery Tech and Lithium ETF. ACDC. Oh, Henry, I'm sure you have some wonderful repost for ACDC. Well, it's um, it's a long way to the top. <laughs> and I have to say, I'm a little thunderstruck by this one, but it has been uh, very much against the highway to hell. In fact, you know, it's been shaking me all night long. So this is uh, this has been doing pretty well, to be honest. It's a great theme. It's the same as Japan, really. You're looking at a thematic uh, regarding this one. It has performed extraordinarily well, um, especially in the last uh, year or so. Last year's performance, 40.7%, uh, three-year, 27 0.6% per annum. So that is pretty good. And you have to say, you know, it's been a big beneficiary of one thing, Tesla. Yeah. Tesla is a massive uh, part of this um, ETF. And uh, along with a bunch of uh, other sort of lithium related stocks, Alchem, uh, Livent, uh, even Pilgrim Minerals gets in there. So 3.7% uh, in there, but Tesla 5.4%. You know, where Tesla goes, this one will go, that is for sure. Personally, I, as Andrew knows, I prefer to go direct and uh, try and buy um, the lithium plays or the electric vehicles plays or the new energy uh, plays uh, in, uh, in, in stock form as opposed to ETFs. But this one, you know, you're, you're buying Tesla, you're buying the new world, and uh, it has done very well. Over to you, Andrew. Uh, can I have a, a, a sort of a hold or a accumulate or a buy or? Um, I, I think up here it's a hold only because Tesla has gone so hard so fast. Um, and I do get a little concerned about that, but it's, it's definitely a hold. And again, you know, this one is a, a long term thematic. And uh, even if you've um, timed it quite badly over the last couple of years, you've still done very well. And I think that will continue to be the case. So definitely a hold and any weakness you would add to it, I think. OK. And uh, Andrew, can you give Anne, because Anne picked this one, your thoughts on uh, Akadaka? 
Um, so I was just looking through my Osbys contract I sort of started about uh, three years ago and one of the first ones that uh, I started, that's a joke by the way, I don't have a contract. I um, was looking at one of the Only first, three years. Only three years you've been stuck with me, my friend. I how think could that's, one person that's how long Osbys has been around. So Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Um, and anyway, this is one of the first ones that we were talking about, $74, $75 at the time. And uh, where are we now? $105, $106. So certainly been one of the success stories. Uh, Henry is right. Tesla has driven this, pun intended. But noting that Tesla is only about 5.4% of the portfolio, Alkeem is about 43 Panasonic 4. So in other words, Tesla is not overweight. I mean, it is, but it's not excessively overweight relative to the other names. And again, coming to Henry's first point, this is a thematic ETF. If you believe in the future electrification thematic, if you believe that lithium mining is going to be a thing, believe in battery technology as a thing, then this is certainly something we're still very comfortable in holding. And to us, it's a buy. A buy. Cool. Not quite a double buy on that, but nevertheless, um, it's not out of favour. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I was talking the other day about the numbers in the space in terms of this transition. They just seem to get bigger and bigger. It's not like, you know, this is a, a bubble. It's just like, you know, suddenly that much more copper, that more much critical minerals, etc. Okay, let's move on to the fifth, which is Beach Energy picked by Tracy. So, Andrew, I'll go with you on this one. So hasn't performed as well over the last 12 months, in part due to that weakness in the in the energy price, obviously. And again, I've already sort of shown my hand, as has Henry, relating to our sort of preferred energy exposure being Karoon. But certainly don't mind this one. Certainly a much bigger company, about $3.1 billion and far more daily trades, about $8.8 million. Interestingly, more exposed to gas than it is to uh, oil, about 63% gas. And, but if you have a look at what's actually going on with them, they've actually got reduced production volumes and the price that they're getting for their oil has been reduced, which is obviously no great surprise. Again, though, on a valuation basis, you're being asked to pay seven times earnings. So again, remember, Karoon was three. You're being asked to pay seven times for the market, or sorry, for the industry rather, which is eight. So it's probably not as compelling from a valuation point of view compared to Karoon, but it's still okay. And I'm looking at consensus 18 uh, people follow it. Consensus is around a dollar seventy, a dollar seventy-five tracking versus you know that share price of a dollar fifty. So it's okay. I mean, again, without being captain obvious, if you're worried about um, ESG, then this is potentially not one for you. But I don't mind it. But if I had to go head to head, it'd be still Karoon. So this one's probably a hold, but nothing wrong with it. Don't mind it. It's probably just not the best. Okay. Cool. I have a distinct feeling I'm going to get a similar response from you, Henry. But nevertheless, I'm not going to take the words right out of your mouth. So uh, we'll go meatloaf as well. This is a real musical edition this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, Beach Energy. I have to say this is the QBE of the oil and gas sector. This is the one that perennially disappoints. And uh, it has disappointed over the years. I've got to say, everyone gets a bit uh, fired up about this one because there is a dearth of mid-sized oil and gas plays in Australia. You kind of go Woodside, Santos, then ugh, where? Uh, and then Beach, obviously, sort of sits in the middle. Then you start hitting down uh, towards the Caroons, uh, et cetera. So uh, that... That is one of the reasons why people have sort of fallen into this one. It has been marked, as QBE has over the years, with disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And this one never fails to disappoint. It's had reserve issues, production issues. Uh, it had some weak well testing results coming out of the Perth Basin uh, not so long ago. That was last month. Uh, so it really has kind of struggled. And of course, it is a beneficiary of a higher oil and gas price. Uh, we do have uh, some news pending on the mandatory code of conduct from the government in terms of uh, gas providers. And it may allow them to sell uncontracted East Coast gas at a higher price, uh, which could obviously be beneficial to them. I have to say, though, I, I'd still prefer Karoon. It is 
you know, Beach has got Kerry Stokes in its corner, so that is something. They pay uh, frank dividends. They have got capital management potential uh, there. Um, if you like the oil price, this is fine, but, you know, it'll get to 160 again from 147, and then they'll surprise the market yet again with something. Uh, first production from Waitsia uh, has been pushed out to the June 24 quarter, so that's not great. CapEx has increased as well. Um, I'd much prefer Karoon for oil price. This one, as I say, the QBE disappointment title goes to this one in the oil and gas sector, but I guess every dog has its day. Maybe this day is coming, but you know, if it got to 160, 165, I'd be selling it again. But um, you know, limited upside, probably a hold. Okay, fantastic, Henry. I was going to make some cheap jibe about me having to sing for my supper, but um, since I can't sing, I'm not going to uh, do that to everybody. But let's sum up in terms of the first half an hour. And integrated research was uh, the uh, stock of the day. And despite that earnings update that we saw coming through from management today, which looked quite good, both of our guests, Henry and Andrew, really could only manage a hold on this one. Pretty loop warm in terms of uh, the growth options for the company. So uh, really not a love there, not a lot of love there. But let's turn to the five stocks that you picked today. And for Tim, cash converters, that was the first one. And uh, well, Tim, I'm afraid, again, not a lot of love from our two expert panelists today. A hold at best, um, a feeling like if they go overseas, <clears throat> slightly a red flag, particularly from Andrew, or an amber flag in terms of concerns. And uh, a company like this should be doing very well in a so-called slowing, potentially recessionary environment. And I guess that hasn't come through and the shop's also looking a, a bit dull. Now, Karoon Energy, uh, which was picked by Anirutz, that was a favoured stock by both of our guests. So we had a buy from both Andrew and and also Henry, and they both say that this is one of their favourite stocks in the sector. Andrew citing it's trading on a four times, about four times perspective earnings compared to other stocks at around seven. Then we're going to go to the beta shares Japan ETF. Been a great performer, particularly on the back of that very weak Japanese yen. Uh, both Henry and Andrew would say have it on your radar, probably a hold at the moment, but not an add with potentially more weakness coming through in that ETF and also the yen. Then looking at the larger thematics from ACDC ETF, uh, very much uh, a Tesla play to a certain degree. It's about 5% of that ETF. Obviously, if you're looking to buy a thematic ETF, this has been a great one. As Andrew said, when he first came on the show three years ago, it was a buy. It continues to be a buy. Henry is a buy on weakness, although he would prefer to play some of these uh, theme stocks in the lithium space directly. And then if we have a look at uh, Beach Energy, well, just noting, Henry points out, this is the QBE of the oil sector, White Sea are continuing to disappoint. Andrew making the point that it is more expensive than their preferred stock, Karoon Energy. So really a hold on both of those. Now, Let's check in with the Ausbiz Conviction Fund. And the call is tracking our own high conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of the committee meeting is live for you to watch at ausbiz.com. So let's check in with the portfolio update. Going into July, Boss Energy was replaced by Paladin. Kelsian is out for Levisa. And let's see how the portfolio is performing. So far, our fund is 3.44% on a cumulative return basis since inception on March 1st, 2022. So keep sending in your requests and keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. So let's preview the next five stocks of the call today. And we have South32, Babcor, APM Human Services International, Abri, the old Adelaide Brighton Cement, and Argo Investments. So let's crack on. And the sixth stock is South32 that has been picked by Matt. 
And dare I say, he is keen to get the experts to discuss 30, South 32. At 365, it seems like a great entry point with good downside risk. And if it did go lower, would it be an accumulate and a 7% dividend helps? Andrew, what do you think of South 32? Uh, look, I like it as a business. Um, I'm just looking at that chart a little bit more closely and the chart's starting to concern me a fair bit. Um, as you can see there, it's sort of slip sliding away. But equally so, if I was to draw a line across your screen there, which would be incredibly difficult for me to do, I would think that around that 350 mark probably looks like the place I'd be wanting to buy this. Uh, they've got exposure to you know, manganese, coal, uh, aluminium, alumina. So it's certainly, uh, it's certainly ticking the boxes. From a valuation point of view, though, it's trading at nine times earnings relative to its peers, which is also at nine times. And I think the reason the market is uh, not in love with it, um, production downgrades, costs, guidance increases, and you know one that I'm not a big fan of is when companies are increasing their debt. Uh, that's always a bit of a, uh, dare I say it, yet another amber flashing light for me. Uh, so, look, on balance, I note that consensus is 458. We're trading well below that, but the market's trying to tell us something. It's saying to us 350 is the buy price. So, it's certainly a hold if you're there, but if you're a buyer, I'd probably wait. There's probably another 15, 20 cents in it, but not a bad business, just not yet. Okay, fair enough. Henry, what do you think? Uh, I think we all got the memo today, didn't we, about weaving song titles and lyrics into uh, our recommendations. We've got now Andrew's latest one, Slip Sliding Away. Nice work there. Uh, of course, the, the nearer the destination, the more you are slip sliding away. And, of course, South 32 has been slip sliding away. Um, for a company that was floated off or demerged from BHP with no debt, uh, the fact that the debt is starting to increase is a little bit of a concern. Commodity prices have been on the nose for these guys, and they've ha had some issues in South Africa as well. And it's not expensive by a long chalk. And I've got to say, you know, when, you, when you're looking around the place at the moment, and we had that big, big rally yesterday in resource stocks, especially the big miners, uh, which have been under some pressure for a little while, you'd have to start looking at South 32 and scratching your head and thinking, you know what? I may not be going a little bit early. I may be going a little bit counter to the trend, but this one is and should be on your shopping list for the turnaround. At some stage, it will turn around. It is not expensive. Brokers still like it, um, but it's obviously had some issues, some problems, and uh, the Hamosa project uh, has had some uh, problems with approvals, um, but... Um, the, the time frame there has been pushed out a little bit, uh, three to six months for the approvals on the Taylor uh, feasibility study. So that, that's something to bear in mind, but it's not expensive. You're playing against the trend a little bit. You're playing against the chart, but I would be nibbling away at this one. 360, it's yeah, you kind of it's starting to look tempting and interesting. You, you, you may be uh, 5% early. You may even be... 10% or worst early, but this one's probably got more upside than downside given where we are with commodities and potential, you know, potential uh, increasing in stimulus from China. So I'd be, um, it's not a strong buy, but I would certainly be nibbling away at this one, I have okay. to say, at around $3.60. Nibble slash accumulate, so to speak. Okay, yeah. cool. Let's uh, move on to Babcor, which is seventh stock of the day, picked by Jason. I can see lots of head nodding going on by Andrew. So is that for Babcor? No, no, I was just actually just um, thinking to myself, I missed the opportunity to push an ETF uh, with South Yeah, Eastern, you did. Which would be MVR is the ETF that you want to buy there. Um, and MVR basically owns South32, BHP, Woodside, etc. So okay. to Henry's point, resources are all under pressure. 
MVR is another one. Sorry, I'll be quiet now. That's all right. Babcor. You can you can uh, switch across to Babcor. Get us uh, your view on that one because they obviously had some management changes a couple of years back, and uh, there it was a favourite for quite a while. But uh, as we can see, that one's on a road to nowhere a little bit as well. Please don't sing. Please don't sing. Please don't. How sing. good are you, um, Danielle? Talking heads. Nothing. You are, you, you, are, you are wasted here. You do know that, don't you? Um, <laughs> look, it's, it's, going along, um, it's going along okay. Uh, and certainly you'd have to think that whole automotive space, used cars, et cetera, uh, has done pretty well, certainly through the pandemic. Obviously, though, impacted around sort of supply chains and all that sort of thing. If we have a look at it, though, share price really has gone nowhere over the last, well, frankly, over the last five years. Over the last five years, it's up 0.4% per annum relative to the market, which is up around 6% per annum. So it certainly hasn't really done a lot on that sort of wealth creation path. ROE, 11%, that's okay. Probably the key thing for me, though, the PE is 14 times relative to its industry peers, which is equally 14 times. So you're not really getting a bargain. Um, consensus is $7.30 versus the share price of 604. I know short interest is starting to rise a little bit again on it. I, I'm, I'm unenthused, so unenthused. it's a hold. Okay. Henry? Um, burning down the house on the road to nowhere, I have to say. This one is just, um, it's been going nowhere. Yeah. Uh, Burston Automotive Products, founded by Gary Johnson and Ron Burgoyne, hence the name Burst, Burson, uh, taking both their names or nicking bits of their names. 1971, this company was founded, and... They've just renewed their debt facility, which may be that they're going for some sort of uh, acquisition. Who knows? But to some extent, this is this was one of the winners, I suppose, uh, during COVID with uh, everybody booking their cars in for services. And it is a bit of a consumer stock as well, being, you know, car parts, etc. People uh, buying extra bits for their cars, going to the, uh, the Burston stores and that side of things. So there is a little bit of a, um, a sort of a leisure, non-discretionary part of the business there. Obviously, it's uh, in the car parts business. So some of that is non-discretionary. You've got to get your car fixed. But it's a consumer stock. The consumers are under pressure. They're slowing down. You're going to get your car serviced as often if you can't pay your mortgage. Um, that does bother me slightly, I have to say. It's, it's here. It, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's probably a hold. It does have some uh, defensive qualities because some of the uh, the products they do, a lot of the products they do are non-discretionary, but then there is that consumer element to it. I can't, I find it hard to get excited about um, BAP, I must admit, and it has been on the road to nowhere and I don't want to burn down the house with this one. So it's a hold for me. Okay, thank you, Henry. Uh, <clears throat> dare I say, I think our music jokes might be wearing a little bit thin at this stage. So let's move no, on. No, <laughs> never let it be said. Let's move on to the eighth stock, APM Human Services International, picked by Anthony. Um, Henry, what do you think about APM? Well, um, yeah, it's another one hard to get excited about, isn't it? The chart yeah. is doing absolutely nothing. Uh, you know, we've we've had some uh, some highlights from the results. Revenue up thirty nine percent. Underlying EBITDA up twenty one percent. NPAT uh, uh, NPATA up at eleven percent. Dividend of five cents, etc. But and it's had a contract win in the UK, a seven hundred twenty million dollar contract. Um, it just we haven't had a lot of fresh information. And again, you know, this one probably suffered a little bit from the tax loss selling, maybe a little bit early in that respect. But it, it's it's very hard to get massively excited about this one, despite these contract wins. Um, it's, it's probably a hold, to be honest, uh, at these kind of levels. It has been going sideways for, you know, most of this year or since March anyway. And uh, with a little dip at May, I, I can't 
get massively excited. It hasn't moved the needle really uh, with these announcements, uh, with these contract wins, 720 million bucks. You think that would be uh, a pretty good uh, kicker for the company. But um, I know that brokers have, are all kind of like it and they've all got $3 plus price targets on it. But um, again, I think there's better stories elsewhere. It's, it's certainly a hold. I certainly wouldn't be selling it, but uh, it promised a lot when it came on. Uh, it's not been re- it's not been long listed from memory, and it did promise quite a lot, um, but um, has not really delivered. So, yeah, not not one that I'm getting that excited about. Hold. Yeah, fair enough. And maybe an alternative. I mean, if you do want to go into that sector, not that they're directly comparable, but if you are talking about you know placement of human beings into jobs, maybe uh, Seek would be a better option. Yeah, I, I get, you know, I, I'd spoken to someone recently talking about Seek and they were saying that Seek is just so expensive that they're actually using alternate uh, ways of, uh, of recruitment. LinkedIn, of course, is one of those um, because Seek is very expensive. And if your business is a bit under pressure, but you still need uh, staff, uh, then maybe you're using alternates yeah. uh, to uh, to the likes of Seek. And, you know, Seek is another one that really hasn't done much. It's been sort of a bit higgledy-piggledy, but it has been going you know, relatively sideways in a bit of a trading range for, for a little while. Okay, I diverged there. So, Andrew. You moved. did. I did. <laughs> Andrew, APM. Interesting business, um, in particular around that sort of disability assessment piece. And you'd have to think that there's a growing need for allied health uh, services. My mum's an OT and I note an occupational therapist, and I note that the founder was also an occupational therapist. Uh, love our OTs. But Equally so, I note that the founder uh, still owns 23% of the business. So that's a positive and a negative. Positive because they still have skin in the game. Negative because if there was going to be any corporate activity, bearing in mind it's barely been listed a year, so that's pretty unlikely in the short term. But if there was any sort of corporate interest because the founder still has more than 10%, uh, or sorry, more than 20%, that's sort of that, that blocking stake as such. So from that point of view, that's probably, a, as I said, a positive and a negative. From a valuation point of view, it's probably not too demanding at nine times earnings, uh, forecast EPS growth of around 15% per annum. So it passes that PEG test that we like to use. But to Henry's point, there's only four brokers who follow it, so and it seems to be predominantly a West Australian company, so hasn't really got a lot of national coverage at this stage, albeit a $1.8 billion company, so it's not insignificant. But uh, for the time being, I think it's a hold until we get a bit of better idea as to more brokers covering it. They have a few more contract wins and potentially the founder continuing to sell down that stock because equally so as the market suspects that, that could also be a bit of an overhang issue as well. Fair enough. Uh, yes, yes, not, yeah, hard to get excited about. Ninth stock is Adbury ABC, picked by Stephen. I was just having a look. We've had a bit of a share price pop on this one um, because they had been in a world of pain for a while as well. Henry, are you into cement? Uh, we're, we're still on songs, aren't we? ABC. <laughs> Here we go. Michael it Jackson, eat your heart. Exactly, exactly, my friend. Um, Adbri had a big, big pop. They had an update back in uh, in May at their AGM and said that things were going along pretty well. And the fact that they'd uh, pushed margins higher, and guess what? People had no choice but to pay the higher margins, the higher prices. And as a result, uh, they were pretty confident they were going to stick. So uh, that was a big feather in their cap. Um, and uh, the stock has really sort of been on a bit of a one track to uh, to higher ground for some time i don't mind this one but it has run pretty hard you'd have to think that some of the the uh, the headwinds in residential are going to um bite them at some stage we're, we're constantly hearing about builders going bust uh shoddy apartments apartment builders and developers having issues uh they're quite Quinana project, the CapEx, is uh, blowing out as well. So that, that is an, an issue there. But I guess at the moment, the strong trading for those four, the first four months of the, uh, the first half of FY23 have been pretty good. And those margins sticking and even increasing is also a pretty much of a positive. Up here, though, I've got to say, feels a little bit 
toppy, given what's coming, uh, given residential markets. I know that we're constantly being told that uh, the housing market is defying gravity. But, uh, you know, I think there's a, a, a bit of a deluge of properties set to hit the market before spring. I know some real estate photographers at the moment that have suddenly got massively busy after doing nothing for the last month. Massively busy as everyone's trying to get in front of everyone else to sell before um, and take advantage of some of these uh, increasing prices. So up here, it's a hold. That's cut a long story sideways. But uh, yes, definitely a hold. But uh, I think there are risks. And it did take off like a scolded cat back in May. And uh, maybe uh, that was a little overdone, although it has kicked since. But um, I think holes to drift sideways would be probably my um, my take on this one at the moment. Fair enough. So, uh, Andrew, are you going to shoot a poison arrow through Stephen's heart on oh, this one? How good are you? <laughs> no, it's just a tragic, clearly, for old songs. <laughs> That was, that was gold. Oh, gold! <laughs> Mature. Haven't you got a producer in your ear going, bail out now, bail out yeah. now? No, they're very... These guys are idiots. <laughs> no, very quiet, clearly. Hopefully we're entertaining, uh, entertaining everyone on the call today. <laughs> anyway, more seriously, Andrew, uh, Adbury, um, Adelaide, the former Adelaide Brighton, which I used to cover as an analyst many, many moons ago, but uh, things have changed since then. So what's your view on the stock? Yeah, look, I, I a couple of, um, again, amber lights for me. First one is there's a new CEO, and uh, with all due respect to new CEOs, uh, they sort of come in with a, a different lens and looking at things, uh, equally liking to pin things on the previous CEO. So their uh, salary review or options review is in a couple of years' time. Look at this mess that I found, and I fixed it for you, you know, so... Uh, not suggesting that's the case here, but you know that could potentially be a line of uh, of argument that's used. So that's one thing that's got me a little concerned. PE of 15 times relative to forecast earnings per share growth of 2%. So it's certainly pretty fully priced. Uh, Resi making up about 36% of their revenue to all the points that Henry just spoke about before, and then that Kiwana Freeway extension in um, in WA that's uh, causing them a bit of pain as well. So lots of reasons not to be there. I note that short interest is starting to fall away again, but uh, yeah, I think it's pretty fully priced at these levels. It's a hold at least at this point. Okay, it seems okay. to be a, a hold kind of a day. But number 10 on the stock selection, let's move there in terms of the last one, which is Argo Investments, which has been picked by Nick. So listed investment company, Henry, uh, why do I think this is probably not your cup of tea? It's definitely not my cup of tea. It's been around since 1946, which is even longer than I have, uh, which is saying something. $6 billion, 96,000 shareholders. Um, its top investment is Macquarie Group, uh, followed by BHP and CSL. CSL hasn't exactly knocked the lights out for them, has it? It's a 52-week low still at the moment. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this. It's... Um, now, it does what it says on the tin, fully frank sustainable dividends. It's paid a dividend every year since 1946, fully frank since 1995. It's got strong balance sheet, no debt, invests in a bunch of uh, ASX-listed stocks. You're not paying much for their expertise, which um, probably accounts for their performance because you're not getting much of that either. Management's expense ratio is 0.16%. This is, I'm to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of surprised in lots of ways that these sorts of things uh, kind of still exist given the whisperer and the uh, the ETFs that we have now mm -hmm. that can re can replace this uh, at a far easier way of doing things to some extent. And there's always one that you can get with income as well. These are fully frank dividends. NTA is $8.87. It's trading at $8.70. But if you take in the unrealized tax position, then the ETA, the NTA is uh, $7.82. So it's trading at a big, big premium to that. It's got a lot of CSL. Sorry, guys, not interested. Fair enough. Um... I, I have a distinct feeling. I, I know what your answer is, Andrew, because you have an <laughs> ETF hat on. But nevertheless, I am not going to put words in your mouth. 
Oh. Thank you. I, I know the baby face belies this, but when I first started in the industry, um, the go-tos for the diversification plays were things like AFI, Australian Foundation Investment, and Argo, uh, and, you know, the widows and orphans funds. So to Henry's point, if you wanted to make sure that someone was going to get their dividend every six months across a diversified portfolio and paying 16 basis points, this was an absolute go-to, whereas today... I can buy, say, A200 from BetaShares, just to pick a name, and I'm going to pay something like five or six basis points and actually get the index performance rather than sort of the active management that Argo is giving. So there's nothing wrong with Argo. I've got lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of clients in Argo, but to the supply and demand piece, go back 26 years, Everyone was buying LICs, listed investment companies, and we're now seeing there's a huge, like to Henry's point around that gap uh, between NTA and the share price, this is actually quite minimal compared to some of the other ones on the market. But there's huge gaps between the um, NTA and the share price because everyone's now buying ETFs. They're cheaper and they're also tracking a particular index. You don't have that um, out or under performance. So this one as a whole, I like it a lot, but I think there are better ways to get Australian index exposure at a cheaper price. Fair enough. And I forgot to ask you, Henry, with uh, all that, what were you a hold on Argo or just an avoid? Well, it's not an avoid. It is widows and orphans, as Andrew says. It's probably a hold. There's nothing wrong with it. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's nothing wrong with it, but you know you are buying nearly seven percent in Macquarie, six percent in BHP, and five point four percent in CSL. It's quite a large uh, skew towards Macquarie. It's it's great. Fully frank dividends always pays the dividends. Great. It's just you know there's other things you can do with your money. If if you if you want to sleep at night and uh, and be pretty relaxed about your investments, this one fits the bill. Fair enough. Okay. Let's uh, run through then our second lot of five, ten stocks of the day. And South, I'm afraid, actually, it's, it's hard to get any love in most of these stocks, but let's give it a try. Um, South 32, well, both um, basically a hold for Andrew, possibly looking to buy on weakness uh, should it come down and to around that $3.50 level. Henry has a nibble slash accumulate around $3.60. He feels that, you know, it's really a bit bombed out at this point in time, whereas Andrew's got a couple of amber flags, including uh, not only the chart, but also in terms of those debt levels going up. So sort of an accumulate slash a hold, maybe a buy down the future. Babcor, uh, a stock on, uh, well, a couple of them on a road to nowhere. So both Andrew and Henry have a hold on that. Um, you know, Andrew deciding it really hasn't gone anywhere for five years. 14 times earnings is not a bargain. Henry saying that Burston stores, well, they're sort of more consumer discretionary. Um, it has some defensive qualities, so can't really get excited about that one. APM also we have a hold from both of our guests on that one. Um, Andrew makes the point, interesting business, likes the fact they're dealing in the likes of uh, specialist healthcare, uh, but feels that the uh, major shareholder, and it's recently listed, has 23% stake, so that might be a potential overhang. And uh, Henry very much feels there are better stories elsewhere. Uh, going to Ab Adbury, okay, so here we have a hold from both Henry and Andrew. Uh, Henry making the point that it's currently a bit toppy. Both of our guests concerned about the fact that it's about 35% exposure to the resi market and the residential market is currently, well, new builds are under pressure. There's a lot of builders going under. It's not cheap on 15 um, times with 2% earnings growth. And last but not least, this is the sleep well at night for the uh, widow, widowers, orphans, um, the investment 
investment company, Argo Investments. You know, they pay a great fully frank dividend yield, but Henry likes to make the point, rightly so, that they have uh, a large exposure to Macquarie and CSL, and CSL hasn't been performing. Nothing wrong with it, but uh, Andrew would possibly look towards buying an ASX 200 ETF. So a hold on those as well. And I'm just having a look at the clock. And as much as I would love to ask our two guests about uh, what they think is going to happen with US inflation tonight, pick pick something out of the air. But nevertheless, I want to thank both Henry and Andrew for joining the call today. And uh, next time we'll, you know, we'll have to rock and roll. Thank you for the music. (laughs) Indeed. Come on, Andrew, you've just got to have one to say goodbye. All I'm going to say is it's been a long hour, but thank you very much. Oh, don't <laughs> say that. A long and winding road. A long and winding road. Anyway, thanks you so much for joining the call on AusBiz. And uh, please don't go away because there's a lot more coming up after the break uh, with Andrew Gagan, who'll be joining you for The Pulse. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.